This is the Energy Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you information, education, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. That's what's going to be, I think, truly transformational to a lot of businesses. And hydrogen fuel cells enable a lot of use cases with batteries. By covering the surfaces in floating solar PV panels, you can not only generate electricity on site, you can actually purify the water. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast today. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. And joining me on the line is James Bell. He's the president and CEO of Viking Cold Solutions. James, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having us, Tyler. Absolutely. I'm excited to get a chance to talk to you today. And we're, we're going to be discussing resilience and risk reduction in the cold chain using thermal energy storage. And there's a lot to unpack there, a lot to dive into. And there are really a lot of risks when you're dealing with frozen foods. And we're going to get into those in just a second. But first, let's just explain the concept for thermal energy storage. Uh, uh, James, what are the basics? What do people need to understand about thermal energy storage and how it works? Sure, Tyler. Um, that's a really good question. Thermal energy storage is the broad set of solutions behind temperature management, energy management, and resiliency and quality in the cold chain. What that means broadly is that we take a combination of technologies which include intelligent controls, cloud-based software, algorithms, we essentially digitize a uh, entire facility, whether that be a grocery store, a quick serve restaurant, and then manage their energy so that we reduce their overall energy use, we better manage their temperatures, and we lower their overall cost of their power as well as mitigate their impacts on the uh, environment. So, correct me if I'm wrong, so it basically can store energy during low-cost periods of the day and then use it during the high-cost periods so that it, it kind of saves money and, and saves energy consumption? Does that sound, uh, is that is that my basic understanding? Uh, those uh, are some really germane points about what the system can do and what the technology is capable of. Mm-hmm. But further, the fact that we're um, not only digitizing their entire system by putting sensors on all the relevant uh, um, functions being the refrigeration equipment, the doors, as well as putting uh, temperature sensors all over a facility. We also then optimize that facility for its peak efficiency. So there's an efficiency gain of, on average, 26%, um, sometimes quite a bit more depending on the facility. Wow, that's really incredible. So what's that process look like then when you go into a facility and you begin to kind of evaluate it? What's that process look like? Well, um, yeah. Uh, engineers that we have here, we have electrical engineers, chemical engineers, and mechanical engineers. And of course, all of those aspects are present in any um, cold storage facility or any freezer um, that you find in any quick serve restaurant or even a grocery store. So initially what we do is we evaluate the facility to see what temperature challenges and energy challenges they have. And then our key differentiator of what we do as compared to say what simple smart controls do is that we use phase change material, otherwise known as PCA, which is a great storer of energy. And we store energy inside the facility in the form of cold, and then we utilize or dispatch that energy, as you said, um, at times when we would like to turn the equipment off, and other times we run the equipment when energy prices are low. Quite frequently, that is a day-to-night shift, which matches very well with energy prices and the use of renewables, such as solar. So overall, the the net benefits to a facility are um, overall better temperature stability and so therefore better products, also more efficient um, systems and and better monitored systems. Further, um, you have a, a greater ability to pick and choose when you utilize energy. And then finally, um, resiliency, 
in case there's a mechanical or electrical failure, the system can give you multiple times the the um, ride time in order to get a, a facility with the electric on. Yeah, so uh, that, that that makes a lot of sense to me. So th- then how long is it ta- does it take to go from uh, not having anything to being fully up and running with, with Viking Cold Solutions? What, what's that implementation time? Generally, our um, essentially proposal acceptance time to commissioning time is about 90 days. Sometimes quicker, sometimes a little longer, depending on if we have to make some adjustments to uh, the solution for the individual customer. But uh, within the first billing period after that uh, 90 days, the customer should be seeing a substantial decrease in their power costs and also uh, stability of their overall um, temperatures within the facility. Absolutely. And reducing that energy cost, I think, is a, is a large aspect of this, right? Because um, it, just, just reducing those costs overall has to maybe alleviate some of the burden because that, that is a, a major, uh, I would suppose, uh, a major cost on some of these establishments is just that they have to keep things frozen, they have to th- keep things cold, and that energy costs a lot of money. Correct, Tyler. And traditionally, um, these facilities have just been takers of power, meaning they consume mm-hmm. power 24-7, as they needed it, they had no ability to avoid the higher price times at their time of use. And uh, obviously, temperature stability is their priority. So now they have the ability to do a bunch of interesting things, either participate in demand response or, say, bid the spot market or shape their load more, which helps both the grid and it helps the operator. So um, ultimately, it's about economics, and then it's also about quality, and it's also about uh, sustainability in the environment. Absolutely. Yeah, I wanted to talk about some of those things also because th- this has to reduce some of the strain on energy providers too, right? Like I live in Texas in the summertime and they're always talking about how the grid is just totally maxed out because everyone's running air conditionings all the time and ev- everything like that. Like th- this has to reduce some of the strain on energy providers, right? It really does. And for different utilities or power providers, the grid as a whole, uh, TES technology, and that's of course the thermal energy storage technology that we provide, it can serve several of their needs. It mitigates the demand fluctuations that they see. It provides kind of energy storage as a distributed energy resource or a virtual power plant. It also provides them with a chance to have greater customer engagement with a behind-the-meter resource that provides, you know, valuable services that previously they couldn't have uh, provided. Um, TES is also a low-cost, long-duration storage medium for renewable energy. So depending on the utility of the power provider's needs, it's got a bunch of really valuable benefits for them. So I, I, you mentioned the environmental aspect, and I wanted to get into that a little bit also. Um, kind of explain a little bit more about how this is beneficial for the environment and whether or not that's something, you know, is that something that you as a company are passionate about? Uh, we're, we should all be passionate about the environment. We only have one Earth, and uh, obviously there's quite a few of us, and we're, we're having an impact on it. And, of course, climate change is inevitable, but the extremes of it, is something that we have an ability to influence. So if you look at the energy load of these type of facilities, um, everyone likes their their food chain. Everyone likes to have the kind of food they want to have when they want to have it. And that consumes over $40 billion worth of energy a year. It's an immense amount. So our technology has the ability to reduce this waterfall this down by 5% or more. So that impact on the ability to roll off some of the more harmful CO2 emitting, um, you know, uh, power sources would, is going to be really, really meaningful. And already our uh, systems, which have been deployed for over seven years, 
have mitigated many, many thousands of tons of CO2. Wow, that's that's absolutely incredible and uh, and really good work that you're doing there with um, especially on the environmental side. Now, I, I also wanted to talk because you mentioned just consistency of temperature being an important and a big thing. Uh, explain why that's such an important aspect to what you do. Certainly, um, the the name of the industry that we're most central to is called the temperature controlled industry, and they are involved in temperature control storage, and that extends all the way from kind of the farm to the fork. Um, and that cold chain, um, temperature is king. And with proper temperature controls, um, fruits, bowls, meats, everything that are make up our foodstuffs are much better preserved. So given that priority, quite a bit of energy is used to preserve those temperatures. And we play a key role all along that cold chain in terms of, of providing better quality food while also lowering the amount of energy that's needed to preserve that food. Absolutely. And then I would suppose that then, like, if there's a loss of power or something, uh, a disaster happens and there's a loss of power to a facility, that this is also able to kind of step up and fill that void uh, for a period of time, too. Is that right? Absolutely. The resiliency feature of this and the ability to, to provide thermal energy backup has been really key to some of our customers. You know, a number of our customers are in places where they have both high energy prices and climate uh, challenges such as hurricanes. An example is Puerto Rico. We have uh, nine major customers in Puerto Rico with numerous facilities. And when Hurricane Maria swept through Puerto Rico, as you recall, uh, it entirely knocked out their grid. Well, fortunately for our customers, they didn't lose a single pallet of food um, during that time. And they were able to continue to feed Puerto Ricans because with our system and even with no power, they were able to maintain temperatures for four or five days until we got backup generation into them or that the grid was able to come back on in certain areas. So it saved them millions of dollars in potential loss, as well as helping them to continue doing what they needed to do, which was feed Puerto Ricans in a very trying time. Wow, that's absolutely incredible. So it was able to uh, keep all of the food preserved so they didn't lose a bunch of money, and then they were also still able to feed people. Uh, that that feels like kind of a, I don't know, a win-win in, in just about every area in that case. It really is, and I think the resiliency and the thermal energy backup a piece has become you know, pretty central to one of the offerings that we have. Any place that has uh, wild temperature variations or has extreme weather, we can definitely play a role there if there's grid instability. So we see this as key in places like California where they've had wildfire issues. Mm-hmm. We see it in Puerto Rico and along the Gulf of Mexico where there's a hurricane issue and then in the Atlantic. And then, of course, uh, overseas. I mean, we see this being a good extension of the company's business into places like Africa, where they have some grid instability, Um, places like Asia, where they have growing demand for power. So at the same time, if you can provide quality, resiliency, and lower cost while helping the environment, uh, that really is kind of uh, four wins, I would say, instead of just a win-win. Absolutely. Absolutely. The win, 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 win. That's a, that's a lot of wins, but they're, they're all very, very positive. Um, now, loss of power isn't the only reason why, you know, a, a refrigerator or something like that would stop uh, cooling. There's also, you know, system mechanical fa- failures that you have to take into account that maybe you don't live in an area that experiences a lot of natural disasters or has grid insecurity or anything like that. But there is the, uh, you know, the infrequent uh, refrigeration system failure that you also have to account for that this could also, uh, I suppose, kind of do the same job in that case. That's absolutely correct, uh, Tyler. Everyone's experienced some sort of a loss of a refrigeration, whether that be, you know, a refrigerator in your house that goes down, or maybe your favorite restaurant has a problem. 
So um, one of the great things about our system is that uh, it provides this thermal energy storage and this temperature stability regardless of being powered because it's passive. Um, so it works no matter what. So uh, there are numerous instances where our monitoring and our cloud-based algorithms can sense a problem and even give an indication of a problem before it happens so you, that you can get some sort of maintenance in there to, to fix the problem before it comes an expensive and problematic uh, issue. But even if the worst case does happen and you have a compressor failure or some other piece of refrigeration equipment, we're able to maintain temperature and keep the food safe until you have a chance to make a repair. Absolutely. Now, I wonder what the conversations are like when you're talking to prospective clients or customers, um, because this is something that, that maybe uh, people don't anticipate the need for until maybe they need it, if that makes sense. Like, a, like they don't think that, oh, my refrigerator is going to fail or a natural disaster is going to come and we won't have power for a few days. How do you have that conversation of this is a cost on the front end, but it could end up saving you a ton of money on the back end? So we obviously give them uh, some case studies and examples um, that, that we've had, that our customers have had, and then we love providing references. Um, and uh, prospective customers always enjoy talking to other cold storage operators, restaurant owners, and grocery store owners who've experienced these things. And numerous uh, chains uh, of restaurants and grocery stores that we know the names of have had these issues, and we've helped to mitigate their loss. Um, and then we obviously can speak to um, overall the resiliency and the, the value that comes with the reduced costs. So things have to, at the end of the day, essentially pencil. It has to make economic sense. Um, but overall cost of ownership over the entire uh, um, experience is what really matters. So we um, have a consultative selling technique where we go in and we'll find out from the customers what they really need. Do they need more resiliency because of a location or do they need more efficiency or does it have to do with temperature temperature stability and uh, fortunately our system can address all all of those Absolutely. The system can address all of those as well as having environmental benefits as well. And so, uh, as we mentioned earlier, maybe it's it's the four-win uh, solution here from Viking Cold Solutions. When you're having these conversations with, with people just ab about thermal energy storage, what's something that, that people don't often know? What's something that surprises people pretty often? Uh, many people that we talk to who are either out in the industry or just learning about the industry are surprised to understand the energy intensity of cold storage. So just a few statistics, uh, cold storage is the highest energy demand per cubic foot of any industrial category on the grid. It's also the third highest consuming category overall. So immense amounts of energy goes to keeping things refrigerated or frozen. And that industry consumes over $40 billion worth of energy annually. And the amount of facilities out there are pretty extraordinary too. There's over 2,000 cold storage warehouses in the United States. There's over 40,000 supermarkets, and there are over 620,000 restaurants. All of these store food in some refrigerated capacity, either below freezing, which is obviously 32 down to, say, negative 20 degrees. And some people don't know that things are kept that cold. And they run that refrigeration nearly 24-7. So the need for our type of technology out in this industry to help lower the cost, reduce the impact on the uh, environment, and yet provide safety and quality is is really immense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then kind of the, the last thing I really wanted to, to get into was just how do you see the increasing adoption of renewables um, interacting with thermal energy storage? How do those things uh, work together for the benefit of, uh, of these providers? 
it's a really insightful question, Tyler. <clears throat> so we see out there major demand and power generation shifts going on as renewables get adopted more and more around the United States and around the world. Um, there's, it's just requiring changes in grid infrastructure. Um, there are greater hourly, daily, monthly, and seasonal swings. Um, and it, it, I'm sure you know the statistics. Renewables over the last decade, solar has grown 48 faster, 48 times faster than predicted. Wind has grown four times faster than predicted. And this variability as it's come on the grid has really challenged grid operators and the power generators. Where we play a role in that with TES is we're a great capacitor for the grid. As a storage medium that's already distributed around the grid, we have the ability to store many, many months of energy. We're really deployable. We take additional real estate. We provide efficiency in an ROI. And our ability to store energy has been proven time and time again. And the really uh, where the rubber hits the road, the levelized cost of energy, the LCOE of our technology is less than two cents a kilowatt hour. Whereas if you compare that to say a lithium ion battery, it costs over 25 cents um, per uh, kilowatt hour. So on a comparative basis, you have something environmentally friendly, low energy storage is lithium ion battery. Our storage lasts the entire lifetime of a facility. Lithium ion, maybe five to seven years at best. Ours is environmentally friendly and green. There's rare earth metals. So you can see there's there's new solutions coming to the forefront with technology like ours that provide the ability to store um, these highly variable renewable energy um, resources that everyone wants so much. So as that proliferates through the grid, we're going to be in a really good position to try and help these grid operators and the utilities manage those loads. That's James Bell, President and CEO. Thank you so much for taking some time to explain this to me today and to talk a little bit more about thermal energy storage and uh, its impact on the industry. Thank you so much, James. Thanks for checking out this podcast with James Bell, President and CEO of Viking Cold Solutions. For more podcasts just like this, head over to marketscale.com, click on Industries at the top of the page, and scroll down to find the industry that most interests you. We'll be back soon with another episode of the podcast, but until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening.